Well, welcome everybody to this podcast for the Church Facilities Expo, better known as CFX. My name is Brian Blackmore. I'm the editor at Church Production Magazine and churchproduction.com. Our guest today is Phil Cook. And Phil is an author, a filmmaker, a producer, and a media consultant to a great many secular and faith-based clients. I'd also call him an entrepreneur, but he doesn't list that on his official bio. Uh, he, he's been interviewed by the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Wired, Fox News, MSNBC, and many others, including Church Production Magazine, on topics ranging from creativity, communication, Hollywood, media, culture, and faith. He's keynoted WFX on several occasions and keynoted Church Productions' own Capture Content Creation Summit this past year. And Phil will be leading a number of sessions this coming September at CFX in Dallas. So I'm happy to also call him a friend. So welcome, Phil Cook. I am thrilled to be here, Brian. This is fun. Awesome. I can't awesome. wait. Well, it's crazy times uh, for churches with the whole coronavirus and COVID-19 yeah. situation. I know you've been talking to a lot of churches recently about their use of live streaming. And I'm just wondering if you could tell us, what are some of the common questions you've been asked over the past few weeks? Well, <laughs> there's been a lot of those. Um, it's interesting. The greatest thing, I think, if you can say there's a great thing that's coming out of this virus situation is that pastors finally realize just how critical their communication and media teams are. Uh, for the people listening to this podcast, I would just say you are more needed now than ever. This is just an amazing time. And pastors who have always thought that communication and media were kind of secondary, you know, that live streaming audience is out there, but I'm not going to really focus on them. They're suddenly realizing when 100, when 100% of your congregation is on the other side of that camera, suddenly you realize just how important the person running that camera is, the person switching the cameras, the person lighting the stage, the person figuring out how to, how to hook up the Wi-Fi. All those things really do matter. So number one, let me just say and, and encourage everybody listening to this, because I know you put in a lot of late hours. I know you've been frantically trying to make things work. Some people are, you know, one man bands or one woman bands. I'm just so impressed with all the effort you're doing because you're literally making church work during this time without you. Um, people, just millions, literally millions of people. And by the way, you'd be amazed, Brian, at how many people have been, have accepted Christ dur during, on live streams. The number of people coming are in the millions. Um, it's just a remarkable time. And so I, I, first of all, just let me say how excited I am about that. Um, you know, when it comes to questions I'm asked, most of the questions are how do we adapt uh, what we do on the stage to focus on a camera? And it's a completely different world. And what I always tell people is, you know, it is about adapting. You don't have to do your live stream on the stage. You know, when there's nobody in the audience, I always, always tell pastors, don't fake it. You know, I see a lot. I've probably watched 50 live streams in the last couple of weeks. And I keep seeing pastors who are roaming around the stage, preaching over here and then preaching over here and then preaching over here as if people are in the audience. Look, we're not stupid. We know we're on lockdown. Everybody knows nobody's in that crowd. Everybody, literally 100% of your congregation is on the other side of that camera lens. That's where you need to focus. So probably my biggest criticism or my biggest encouragement is trying to tell pastors and, 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 and media guys, let me just say this about the communication team, stop shooting wide shots. You know, the truth is we're going to be seeing that, that service and that pastor on a mobile device or a computer. Very few people actually watch on a TV set. 
And so it's already going to be a small image. So when you're using these wide shots, that pastor, that poor pastor is going to be a dot on the screen. So this is the moment to move in tight. This is the moment to get in close, even with your music and your worship. This is, we don't need those fancy side shots of the guy preaching. We don't need fancy wide shots of your sanctuary stage. I saw one live stream the other day that had coffee cups sitting on the stage in the background and had instruments and wires and cables. We don't need to see that. I want to focus on the, the pastor, the singer, because the emotion happens, the connection happens in, in our eyes, in our facial expression. So I'm encouraging people to get in tighter. I think that's so important. It really is. Uh, I see that with my own church, a, a, a nervous energy on the part of the pastor, uh, you know, walking all over the stage and trying to, trying to make, trying to make it seem as normal for him. And it's, doesn't convey. So, um, yeah. well, tell us a little bit more. Uh, what are some of the more, I don't know, innovative or, or the, or the most, more effective ways <clears throat> that you've seen churches adapt and, and use technology through this, uh, through this health crisis? A lot of churches are really learning. You know, it's interesting. Uh, a lot of churches have been live streaming for years, but now they're really taking it seriously and they're starting to study it. One of the things, for instance, I'd be curious about your listeners. Uh, they're, they're, checking this, but with a significant number of churches, we found, for instance, that the audience is fairly transient during the worship and the music, but they lock in when the pastor comes on. It's interesting because I've produced Christian television programming for almost 40 years, and one of the things we've discovered in producing Christian television programming is people don't tune in to see the music. In almost every case, they tune in to see the speaker, the, the pastor, the teacher. So when you see a Joel Osteen program or a Joyce Meyer program or a Brian Houston program, even though Hillsong is built around worship on his teaching programs, they don't have much. And so we tend to know that people tune in for the pastor. So during a live stream experience, even though it's supposed to be a worship service, we're seeing the same thing happening with people tuning in and out during worship and then getting really locked in during the message. So I'm telling a lot of uh, pastors and, and media and communications people, maybe this is the time to tone the music down a little bit. Maybe we don't do the 40 40 minutes of, of music before the message. Maybe we tighten that up to maybe 10 or 15 minutes of music and then go right into the message because it looks to me like just from the numbers. Uh, and I would encourage everybody listening to check their own numbers because every church is a little different. Um, I'm just seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of indications that we want to get into the sermon quicker and it doesn't mean to get rid of your music, but just maybe tighten it up, shorten it down. And also when it comes to the tighter question, one of the things funny, Brian, that people I keep seeing is because of the social distancing, you know what, it, when you have a, a 30 or 40 voice choir and they're all standing 10 feet apart, it just looks odd. It just, I mean, bless their heart, I get it, and we wanna be the leaders and doing the right help things, but it just looks strange. I watched one church on the East Coast the other Sunday that had a 40 voice choir, but they're all standing 10 feet apart. So they took up the whole choir loft. They took up the whole stage. They took up the three or four first empty rows of pews. Yeah, That's just odd. So maybe this is the time to cut down your team, you know, get a small choir, get maybe a small worship team. Maybe this is time to, it's time to feature soloist because that's really what really seems to be connecting with people. And it's all a part of that adapting you know what works on camera doesn't necessarily the same thing that works on stage so well, this is the e moment e to really rethink even the for the health thing. of those people who do come in to record the worship service I, I i read a story the other day actually my wife read me a story uh about a, a church in washington state um this is a couple of weeks ago before we went really into lockdown they had a 60 voice choir come in for a rehearsal 
and they were trying to do six oh, uh, uh, social distancing. So they had people stand four or five feet apart, 60 some people, 40 of them, 40 of them now yeah. have coronavirus. Yeah. Oh my God. And it's because they're, they're, yeah. they're, Good they're example. singing and they're projecting it. You, it might as well be sneezing. You know, when you project singing, you know, there's a lot of airflow there. So, yeah. So yeah. That's really true. And, and it's, so it's just, it's, it's, it's a matter of really, okay. So let me just say this, this is the moment for people listening to this podcast to rise up. You are meant to help your pastor understand how this works. Let me tell you, I have a PhD in theology. In seminary, they don't teach you about video cameras. They don't teach you about live streaming. They don't teach you about how to come across in a media-driven culture. So it's your job as a communication director, as a media team member, to really sit with a pastor. And obviously, some are not going to get it. Some are just not going to get it. However, I think if you honestly go to your pastor and say, look, let me tell you about some things that work and don't work and, and pull a lot of the live streams that people are doing well and show your, your pastor what's working and what's not working. But let me tell you, this is not the time for you to shrink back behind the camera. This is the time to step up. And, and I have discovered that during a crisis like this, this is the moment the pastor starts to really trust his leaders in communication and media. In fact, it, it, you look at major churches, whether it's Lakewood Church in Houston, Life Church in Oklahoma City, or Hillsong Church, uh, Mosaic Church, these, you know, Elevation, these major churches, they're doing remarkable stuff in media. You'll discover the media person or the communications director is probably the second or third most influential person in the entire church. That's because the pastor trusts them and he goes to them for ideas. So this is your moment. If you're listening to this, I don't care if you're working in a church of 20 people and you just have one video camera and, a, and, you're, fa and you're Facebooking this thing. This is your moment to step up, offer the pastor ideas, develop a trust with him. And I, I'm telling you, it'll help you move to the next level in your own career as a media director and also help the church right. as it's well. A, it's a matter of credibility and having a healthy relationship between the communications and the tech person and the, and the, and the senior is. leadership. So, yeah. So um, as more churches are starting to stream, um, how, what, what's your recommendation for, for how they can grow their reach? What, what is it? Is it all about content? Is it a balance between content and, and production values? What, what do you recommend there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, get past, it's time to get past the, what camera am I using? You know, I go on forums and I see Twitter conversations and other things out there where people are obsessed with the Wi-Fi system or whether they're using the church online platform or they're going to go on YouTube or whatever. You know what? That's all important, but it's time to get past that. And it's time to start thinking about, okay, what are the creative, what are the production techniques we need to start using to get out there? One of the things, for instance, is the pre-service. In my experience, a significant number of people tune in 15, 20, sometimes 30 minutes before the service even starts. So why are we giving them just a countdown clock? And I, I saw one that just had photos of mountains. Come on, let's use that time. Years ago, I, I, I consulted with a major evangelistic ministry that was doing gigantic arena meetings all over the country. And we were, we were, they had never noticed that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people file in 30 minutes before the service started. So we started using videos on the IMAG projectors 
to start engaging with them. So in the same way, in your pre-service, you could maybe get a host or a hostess or, or a couple people to start talking about church announcements, praying for people, um, talking about activities the church is doing. You could show videos of lives that are being changed because what's going on. Um, there's so many things you could do that would minister to people, lead them, build them up, and get them motivated and excited about the service that's about to start, and engage with them. So it, put more effort into your pre-service time, because you'll find that that's an, a remarkable time that'll really engage with people out there and help you grow that stream. Also understand, too, that a significant number of people, as you grow your stream, are international. I'm constantly... Uh, I get emails, phone calls constantly from pastors telling me, I had no idea when I went live streaming, how many people would be in Ghana and how many people in Peru and how many people in China are watching. They are. And so the minute you go live stream, you're positioning yourself to be an international ministry. So always think about the impact you can make internationally as well. In fact, it's so funny. It, we just, pastors that have mastered the lives, I don't mean to rant, Brian, I apologize, but Pastors who have mastered the live stream, it's amazing. I met a pastor, I spoke at a pastor's conference uh, last year in the Midwest, and I met a pastor who preaches to 700 people in the pews on Sunday. He has 10,000 people that typically watch him on a Sunday on his live stream. So when we realize the potential there, and, and also let me just throw this out there. We've worked with three churches here at our team at Cook Media Group. We've worked with three churches that are now making as much as a third of their total income wow. just from their live stream audience. And that's because we've tweaked it so that it's not a secondary thing. It's not just a wide shot from the balcony. It engages people. Uh, we take them seriously. We welcome them. We, we treat them like a campus. So they start to feel like, oh, I'm part of a campus. I'm, I'm a part of this church. They feel a loyalty. And as a result, they start to give. And so literally a third of a church's total income could be coming That's from amazing. your live stream audience. That's, That's amazing. In fact, I had one, I'll say this and I'll shut up, but I had, I had one pastor in the South call me a, a few months ago that said that particular Sunday, his live stream audience gave more than his 6,000 member wow. congregation. So hello, there's a, there's some potential here that we're Absolutely. not really exploring. You, you keep uh, using the word engagement. And that can mean a, a lot of things to a lot, a lot of different people. Um, uh, interestingly, uh, today, uh, which is Tuesday, March the 31st, um, Church Production is featuring an article on analytics for your live streaming. Um, so there's, there's good mm. data in there about how to, um, what, what, are the, what are the important analytics? Uh, it, reach versus engagement it can be, can be two very different things because Facebook can tell you you've reached 24,000 people. And if you dig into your analytics, you find that some large percentage probably tuned out in the first 10 or 12 seconds, but Facebook will still tell you that those are the, you know, that that's your analytics. So it's, it's things to feel good about, but if you dig into them, you can find out uh, the engagement figures that really matter. So, yeah, so some people think it just means getting someone to stay to watch for a few more minutes. Um, you just mentioned engagement in the form of giving. Um, can you give some yeah. other examples of, of how churches can promote engagement uh, and, and what that may look like in different sorts of ministries? Well, let me give you a couple thoughts. One of the things on my blog at philcook.com that I wrote recently was about uh, 
something pastors need to do between their live streaming services. During the week, I really encourage pastors, pick up your phone, go live, talk to people. It doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to have great lighting. It could be in your office. It could be your home. It can be wherever you are. But just connect with people continually online. I'd say two, even three times a week. I would not hesitate just to pick up your phone and start talking to people. Get on Facebook, get on Instagram, and just do a short video, maybe a minute, maybe two minutes, just to let them know you're out there. Keep them up to date on what's going on. Talk to them. Remember, every time you do it on Facebook, it becomes a permanent video that people can play over and over again later. So I just believe that engagement to me means connecting connecting. How are we connecting with our people? Because it's so important. And along that line, and this is where your listeners, uh, communication and media professionals really come in is I think the way we're going to soften the financial blow. And let me just say there's, we're going to have, as many of you by now know, we're going to have a serious financial blow when it comes to churches and ministry organizations. One of the key ways to soften that financial blow is to keep your story out there. Keep your story out there. Let me tell you, I discovered that churches, I mean, church members are far more inclined to continue giving if they really see evidence their church is making an impact during this difficult time. I'll give you a great example. We mobilized a bunch of churches. We worked with a marketing firm here in town called Grace Hill Media. Our team at Cook Media Group got together with them and we started mobilizing some of the major churches in LA because during this virus period, it's interesting that we're not using toilet paper. We're not using cleaning supplies. There's a lot of stuff that we're not using because nobody's coming. So we started mobilizing large churches to gather up all that stuff and let's donate it to the Salvation Army, which is using it every day, you know, in the trenches, really ministering to people that need help. And they got on board with it. And we encouraged churches, get that story out there, have a video guy show up and shoot it. In fact, it was such a great project. The local NBC station here in Los Angeles did a story on the project. And um, we're discovering that churches that told that story through their social media, that we participated in this, we're helping people during this time, or, or did a video of it and played it back on their live stream, we're finding those churches are getting people to give because they see the vision. They say, yeah, oh, my church is making money follows vision. Absolutely. Money. money follows vision. It does. Yeah. It's really, really true. And so as, as a communicator, as a, as a media person, as a communications person, we need to be out there getting that story out there. And remember, we don't need a whole, we don't need a whole parcel of people anymore to go video something. Just send one, one person out with a camera and even with an iPhone and get the story documented so we can keep that in front of people. I just really believe the churches that do the best job of keeping their story told and getting it out there are the ones that are going to weather this right. in the best shape. Well, you've already answered the next question to, to some extent, but maybe you could get into it a, a, a little deeper. And that, that is, what sort of digital media content do you find lends itself to being most inspiring and effective and maybe motivating uh, to, to a church congregation? Well, it's, that's a great question. And it's funny. Um, I, I've discovered you know, is I'm a creative guy and I work with churches and ministries for a living and we're always trying to figure out what else could we do? You know, I get a probably, I've probably gotten literally a hundred pitches for Phil. We should do an, a, a TV show like The Office only at my church staff. It's my church staff is hilarious. Trust me, most church staffs are not nearly as funny as they think they are. But I can, t but they're all, we're always trying to figure out new things to do. Like, can we, can we do a little short movie, a short film and things like this? But let me tell you this, preaching, this is, sounds so antithetical to what we do. Preaching and teaching engages people in a really powerful way. The 
fact is, you don't have to do it from the pulpit. You can do it anywhere. And I encourage people to go out and have their moments out on a hiking trail or have their moments in downtown or someplace. But teaching and preaching is a huge, significant hook that makes people want to watch. So don't diss that. Don't dismiss your pastor because people do want to see that. It's part of the, the, the tracking that we've seen with people really locking into these live streams during the sermon. So think of that. Now, you can also be doing a lot shorter versions out there. Uh, but, but that's a key thing. The other thing that is incredibly important, and I wish more communications and media pe people could get this, is personal testimonies. I can guarantee you, if you look at secular infomercials, you know, the George Foreman grill, the Nordic track uh, machines, all those kind of exercise things. When you see these direct response television programs, we call them infomercials. What we've discovered in doing those over the years is that you can talk about your product till you're blue in the face. But when you show a video, a testimony of Floyd in Cleveland, who bought that grill, took it to his family reunion, became the rock star at his family reunion because of that grill, that's when people sitting at home think, you know what, if it worked for that guy, maybe it'll work for me. And that's when they call in an order. So I equate that to Christian television that you can have your pastor preach all day long. But when you show a testimony of someone's life who was transformed because of that teaching, that's when people at home think, oh my gosh, if that worked for that dude, Maybe it'll work for me. And that's when they reach out. That's when they contact you and they buy the book or get the series or whatever. So all I'm saying is start creating a list in your church of people whose lives have been really transformed because of your work, because of your ministry, because of your church. It could be marriages put together. Yeah. Before and after. Gained, Before whatever. and after. Before and afters. Tell those stories because they have a powerful, powerful impact yeah. on people that watch yeah. So, Phil, you know, there's lots of churches have been streaming for many years, decades even. You know, before that, they were broadcasting traditional means, but many others are just now getting started. So, uh, two questions here for you. What advice do you have for a church that's been streaming for many years, and how can they maximize this situation that's essentially been forced upon them? Well, if, if you've been streaming for many, many years, in many cases, the challenge is not being too professional. That sounds weird, but um, I'll say this. A, a live stream service should be a little ragged around the edges because it's live. It's spontaneous. Now, let me say this, Brian. This is important. I've also seen no evidence whatsoever that it's better to live stream or pre-tape your service. I've not seen any response difference. I've not seen any uh, audience difference. They don't know. So if you feel comfortable pre-taping, you know, if you're worried about the Wi-Fi going out or a light screwing up or a cameraman, you know, messing up, then by all means, pre-tape. That's absolutely okay. A number of people we work with pre-tape and have been doing it for years. However, um, a lot of people like the live. Benny Perez at, at uh, ch the church at Las Vegas called me and he said he just loves the rush of actually being live live. So that's cool. Do it. Be live live if you want. But I've never seen any difference either way. Uh, but what I would say is, if you're pre-taping, don't turn it into a television program. I, I've seen a number of large churches that have big resources and, and are really good at what they do, but they make it so polished and so perfect, it just doesn't feel like it's a live event. So just think about it. Uh, I've had many situations. I, I owned a television commercial company for years. We did, a, we did Super Bowl commercials, and we actually had advertising agencies and major clients that would tell us, we don't want the commercial to be too slick because people think we're pulling something over on them. They're not going to believe us. And so 
I really believe that's true in a live service. It's live. You know, it, it can be a, a little rough around the edges. And you don't want blatant mistakes. It'll turn people off. But it shouldn't be so polished. Yeah, clinical. Too clinical is a, is a turnoff. I, I, I yes. did a podcast with a guy Super. last year. Um, his first few podcasts, he keeps them to about 20 minutes or less. His first few podcasts, he spent upwards of 20 hours worth of post work just on an Ouch. audio podcast. And of course, it's just not efficient Ouch. and you, it's not sustainable. And now he does little or no uh, post work. I mean, he's, he's gotten better at what he does, of course, uh, on the front end, but he's seen no drop off in um, engagement or listenership. So he puts yeah. 20 hours into a 20 minute podcast or like three minutes. I don't spend 20 hours doing I don't spend 20 hours in post on national Christian television programs that we work on. So you're exactly right. It just doesn't need, you're putting too much. And I will say this though, by the way, don't forget graphics. One of the big things I would say is I read, uh, I read when I got my master's in journalism, I, I read a study that indicated when you use graphics on the screen, on the screen, people remember three times as much and they remember three times longer. So, you know, Put scripture graphics, put key sermon points, put key ideas on the screen in graphic form. Right. Really, and it maybe, maybe do, it, for people do it differently or learn to do it differently than you would just for your normal iMag feed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's really interesting. Yeah. That's really true. That's, that's really true. Yeah. That's good. Okay. So last question for you, Phil. Uh, appreciate your time today. So what about that small church? Those churches that are just getting started, maybe, maybe a startup church small church that maybe have been around for years, but they're just starting to take uh, streaming seriously. What sort of priorities would you suggest for them in the short term, manageable, doable uh, yeah. priorities that they can, uh, that they can put in place and, and maybe even this coming weekend? I would say, keep it simple. Keep it simple. This is not the time to be extravagant. Um, I think that uh, it's funny. I got a call from a pastor recently that said, uh, you know, when this whole virus thing started, he said, we'd never live streamed before, but suddenly we had a teenage girl in our, con our congregation that caught Lyme. She had Lyme disease and she couldn't, her immune system was messed up. She couldn't come to church. He said, so her mom called, would you live stream? He said, I had no clue even what it was. He said, so my teenage daughter rigged up a phone and we live streamed our service. And he said, lo and behold, not only was this teenage girl with Lyme disease watching, but we found a ton of other people were watching that we had no idea were out there. So all it takes is a phone. You don't have to get too extravagant. Don't get too fancy. Just get it out there. And I would say, you don't need to do the big choir numbers. You don't need to be extravagant. Even in a holiday like Easter or Christmas, if you're live streaming, really focus, 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 particularly during this time when uh, we have nobody in the congregation. Think of what works most effectively through that camera lens. And chances are it's going to be two or three really, really key songs that lead into your message. Your message is going to be the most critical thing. Um, just keep it lean, mean, simple. That's going to be what's connecting. It's all about, it's not about impressing people. I've had a couple churches try to impress me with how creative they were with their live stream. Great, but it's not about being uber creative. This is about connecting with an audience through that camera and whatever simple way to do that is the better as far as I'm concerned. Phil, thank you so much today for sharing wisdom and insight. It's years, decades of experience. So folks, you can learn more about Phil Cook at his, uh, his uh, and get his uh, email newsletter uh, at philcook.com. That's cook with an E. Uh, and remember, Phil Cook will be sharing more of his experience 
live and in person at CFX in Dallas this September. Um, you can learn more about that at churchfacilitiesexpo.com. My name is Brian Blackmore. I'm the editor at Church Production Magazine and churchproduction.com. Thank you for joining us today. We hope to see you September 29th to October 1st, 2020 at the K. Bailey Hutchison Convention Center in Dallas, Texas for CFX 2020.